0: Welcome to the Brain Food Show, this is episode four in an epic. It even says it right there in the title, an epic space series. Is that just our working title or is that the actual title? Yeah, that is just the working because I couldn't think of a title when I was originally titling. Well, I like that it's epic because this one really does go on. Just before we jump into everything today, we're going to be changing up the format of the show a tiny little bit for our regular listeners. We're going to be doing the sort of follow up that we do normally at the beginning. We're going to be doing it after the main content just because, well, we like listening to feedback and people are like, can you get on with the main, like, especially I think new listeners rather than regular listeners were like, hey, guys jump into the stuff, and then follow up later. And I was kind of like, well, that makes a lot of sense. And Dave was kind of like, that makes a lot of sense. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, I just want to hit a few things before we do get started. Leave us a review. We are doing a contest uh, when we get to 200 reviews on iTunes. We're going to be giving away, uh, was it a $200 Amazon gift card to someone randomly, but from all of the review platforms. So Mm -hmm. leave us a review. We also sometimes read them on the show, but we're not going to be doing that now because you know we're going to jump straight into the content. And also let us know how we're doing on Twitter with the hashtag brainfoodshow. Uh, I was going to say all one word, but that's how hashtags work. So I didn't really need to say that. And in the form of in keeping things brief, should we crack on? What are we talking about today?
1: We're
2: going to start by talking about the, uh, the first guy to walk in space and his sort of like the adventures of him. It wasn't a good time, uh, almost disaster actually.
0: Yeah. uh, Reading through the the prep material before we got started today. I'm like, wow, it seems like something that you Whatever it is, I was like, wouldn't you test that somehow? Like we've talked about people being put in vacuum chambers before and passing out and then killing loads of dogs and all sorts of horrible things. Listen to our previous episodes if you want to get nice and depressed about that. But it seems to me this was something they'd figure out, right? But we'll get into it.
2: Yeah. Oh, and then uh, after that, we're going to talk about the uh, why did people think the moon was made of cheese or where did that sort of that idea come about? And then, um, yeah, the uh, U.S. nuking Britain's first satellite, the poor satellite. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we did a video about that one, right? (laughs) Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah,
0: a long time ago. Yeah, and a few other things like that. So was it Wallace and Gromit? Uh, Do you know Wallace and Gromit or is that just a British thing? That sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't actually know. It's a weird. Is. I mean, it's not. It, it's cool. It's like a a man and his. It's a dog, right? Gromit is a mm-hmm. dog. He's a dude. He's okay, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, they he builds a rocket ship and goes to the moon, and it's because it's made of Wensleydale cheese, and it's very weird. I remember watching it as a kid. It's quite an unusual thing. Um,
2: yeah, isn't yeah, it a little bit like claymationy or something like that? Definitely, as well. I think it's entirely yeah.
0: claymation. Claymation. That's a fantastic word. So, who was the first dude who walked in space? Alexei uh, Leonov. Probably not an American, then. No, <laughs> yeah, it's
2: Soviet Union. It was almost a, an American, but there was, of course, as I think we mentioned on the last episode, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, maybe delay of that launch and until the. <laughs>
0: this was the the whole thing with the space race, though, right? It was all, yeah, almost American, you know. almost a Russian the whole way up.
2: Yeah, so he was a you know veteran of the the Soviet Air Force and all this. Uh, well, well trained. He actually uh-huh. trained for eighteen months for this particular mission. Um, and it was going to be his first time in space along with his uh, his partner there, uh, Pavel, what do you think, give uh, Yeah, I'd say Belyalev. You could call him PB. Yeah, so it was the, the Voskhod 2 mission uh, they launched. And uh, yeah, so they go up into orbit and he straps on his little uh, EVA suit backpack to his spacesuit. And uh, this is. Provides them with about 45 minutes of oxygen and also, um, so you know, not just to breathe, but also to keep cool. They didn't really have like a super sophisticated cooling uh, method there. Uh, it was just sort of like let the let the sort of carbon dioxide and stuff out and put yeah. new new fresh air in, which is cooler. Um, so it wasn't super fancy. But Importantly,
0: uh, though, because people might be thinking, isn't space really cold?
2: Our previous yeah. episode deals with yeah, that one. No, no they, yeah. they definitely had a problem with getting too hot, especially in the yeah. spacesuits. So he's got they got that relief valve, which is which is key to the story at hand. He definitely it's good they had this for getting rid of the all the, the air inside. It's
0: like it just bloats up something massive. It's like, oh yeah, we needed a vent.
2: down. Yeah, yeah. So the uh so they have this their little spacesuit and they have the airlock itself was inflatable. Um uh-huh. so it, it's sort of like once they get up there, they start uh they start pressurizing the the airlock and it starts expanding and so it gets, you know, nice. And so it takes about seven minutes to actually inflate it. Then uh, he crawls inside and he gets, you know, he then gets himself out uh, of the space, of the spacecraft. And he's out. He's outside. The first time ever a human has done this. He spends about 12 minutes and nine seconds, uh, exactly, uh, out there. And uh, yeah, it's nice. Everything's going good. And then he, he goes, all right, well, better get back in. Only got, you know, 40, 45 minutes of air here. And, and he didn't fit anymore <laughs>
0: because <laughs> oh. his suit had expanded. So he had bloated up a little bit.
2: Yeah, a lot. And so, yeah, he, didn't, he, he couldn't really get back in, which is a problem.
0: You're kind of floating around in space. And I'm looking, we've got a, a little picture of the Voskhod 2 spacecraft. And this is terrible podcasting, but we're looking at a picture of the thing. And I'm like, so if that's his airlock, so the guy gets into there, that's a really small spacecraft. So you're not yeah. kind of on the outside of the ISS where you've got some like big, nice thing to kind of hold on to and feel a bit. I don't know. For me, that would make me feel way more comfortable. It's kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, there's this big thing. Whereas if I'm just yeah. going around the Earth, and around this tin, I'm just holding onto this tiny little tin spaceship, like ah, yeah. And
2: and whose the whose uh, who's bright idea there was to make the airlock so small that he could just like barely squeeze out in the first place? And then, it's also
0: inflatable, right? Surely you yeah. can get as
2: big as you want. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. So yeah, he's sitting there. He's like, all right, well, I can't fit back in. So uh, he can almost fit back in. It's, it's like a tight fit. So he starts to try to get himself in. And he doesn't mm-hmm. actually tell like ground control or anything like that. What's, what's, uh, what's up? Because he's like, there's nothing they can do about it. And there was people do. people watching, you know, it was, a, it was back home. And yeah. so uh, they did once they, once the, the ground control people saw that there was maybe an issue here. Uh, they cut off the feed so that, you know, people, the general public couldn't see it anymore. And they just kind of, oh, technical difficulties, you know.
0: I feel like he should have a safe word. Like yeah. they should be like, everything's going fine. I'm really looking forward to getting home and having my macaroni. Yeah. And then they'd like cut off the transmission or whatever Russian people eat. Maybe like have some vodka or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. You have the code word. You can't have the safe word vodka because then he'd use it too much. <laughs> Yeah, so so he's looking and he's he's trying
2: to wedge himself back in uh-huh. and his solution is to, all right, well, I'll just cut off the inflow so so new air won't come into my suit and then I shall just bleed off some air that's
0: in it right now to lower the pressure, basically. I love these early astronauts, just like, let's try something insanely dangerous. Yeah, let's just get rid of the,
2: the pressure inside my suit enough to where he <laughs> could then squeeze, you know, then it wouldn't be so tight, you know, uh, there would be some give to it. Yeah. Uh, and so this is this is what he's going for. So he starts bleeding off the air slowly and sort of like wiggling slowly,
0: inch by inch, you know, crawling in. And so then yeah, he says of this process, I knew I might be risking oxygen starvation, but I had no choice. If I did not re-enter the craft within 40 minutes, my life support would be spent anyway. Ooh, dramatic, very dramatic, in fact.
2: Yeah. And then he he also goes on of why
0: another reason, you know, he was actually quite grateful that they cut off the feed uh, because um, my family was therefore spared the anxiety that they would have had to endure had they known how close I came to being stranded in space. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: in the uh, in the uh, several minutes, it takes him to wedge himself back in as he's bleeding off the. The air there, uh, it ended up, his body temperature actually raised 3.2 degrees Fahrenheit, or that's 1.8 degrees Celsius above normal during jump. the process. Yeah, he, he, was, he was working, you know, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, and then he went, once he got in, then there, there was another problem is because, so now he's in and it's this long, I mean, we maybe we'll put the picture up in the thing, but it's sort of an elongated, like tube looking thing. And so he's in there head first. We have
0: to put up the pic, you, you're talking yeah. about the, not just the EVA, yeah. like, right, but the whole Vostok 2 spacecraft. Yeah. Yeah, and this so thing it, looks like a ray gun. It, it does actually. I was browsing through the night, and I was like, "Ooh, we're talking about ray guns." So I was like, <laughs> "No, that's the Vostok's 2." We uh, where where could people find this? We'll put it up on the forums, right? I'll, like, I'll, uh, I'll
2: just yeah, I'll put it up on on the um on the post or whatever. I don't know if it shows up in like <laughs> iTunes and whatnot, but you can you can see. It. And uh, so yeah, so so he gets in there, but now he has to twist around. And reach back to pull right. the hatch shut, shut and so he can actually, you know, repressurize it and, you know, get there. And so he had to let out even more air to make this happen so he could kind of do that twist around move and then he eventually gets it. He 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 managed to shut it, repressurize, all, all good Um, until he gets back in to the ship and then more stuff, more stuff had gone wrong. So they get back in and then they're going back, you know, time to go back to earth it's nice you know
0: mission accomplished wait did we out, talk about the problem about his suit becoming really stiff because i thought this was a really fascinating thing
2: yeah i mean it was just like you know when it was all inflated yeah so you can't really like move much it's like you know i think we were talking about in the last one where the astronauts really have to work like even in modern spacesuits to just close their fist because it just wants to spring back open you know with the air pressure so it's kind of
0: yeah and so yeah exactly it's just kind of stiff it's hard to move at all But hang on, maybe I'm a little confused when I was reading through these notes. So the guy gets back into the spacecraft and because he's bled off the oxygen, right, now it's like Mm. tighter to him or something. So the suit's like, no, no, the
2: the tightness was was the before when it was just like completely inflated. Uh, It was just like, okay, (laughs) space suits suck generally. (laughs) Yeah. Especially the, you know, the first one that they, they're going out there. They've never tried that before, so.
0: I, I love it in, like, movies where they're wearing these, like, super skin-tight spacesuits, so they've got the giant yeah. piece of glass around their heads, and it's like they're wielding, like, regular guns and shooting them. Like, no, 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 no. No,
2: you'd no. need some, like, yeah, I don't know, motors and things probably <laughs> to do everything good. Although, I mean, like, uh, SpaceX is designing some pretty cool-looking suits. yeah, it looks great. Uh, and I don't know what, you know,
0: how they're getting around some of the problems, but they look cool anyway. I think they've probably come back from the design department and are yet to go to the engineers, maybe. could be the L. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so,
2: yeah, so they get back in. They're going to go back to Earth. And then they, they find out their automatic guiding system is not working. Um, and they're also pretty low on fuel. Like, they don't have a lot of extra to maneuver around. So, they, you know, they need to do the pull off the landing manually mm-hmm. and uh, quite, quite well. Um, so, uh, to, and it's actually, it was kind of difficult. So, uh, Leonov, actually describes how difficult, you know, the, the process here.
0: Uh, he stated, uh, Pasha began orienting, I assume Pasha's the other... Ah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Believ, of course, PB. Uh, Pasha began orienting the craft for re-entry. This was no easy task. In order to use the optical device necessary for orientation, he had to lean horizontally across both seats in the spacecraft <laughs> while I held him steady in front of the orientation porthole. We then had to maneuver ourselves back to the correct positions in our seats very rapidly so that the spacecraft's center of gravity was correct during the re entry burn. And not remember this is a tiny spacecraft. And who designs this thing? Like, you know, like that they have to lay across both seats to do right. the right,
2: you know, to see the.
0: I guess this is like their backup option. Yeah. But still, move the window. Early, early space exploration. Things do yeah. break a lot. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, so then they had the the problem also, of they had to land, um, within the, the Soviet Union because, uh, one of the problems was, of course you have China right there. If they missed and hit China, uh, China and the Soviet Union not getting along at that point. Oh, definitely and not. so, so that they didn't want to create like an international incident there. Um, so they, I mean, but to, to be fair, the Soviet Union, big place, you know, relatively yeah. speaking.
0: Well, I'm kind of reading this article and I'm like, oh, you know, it's broken, but you know, fairly big target. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> throwing them down and because you see all these like uh, spaceship landing or I mean now or like not now but like previously when there was the sh- shuttles and stuff that lands on a runway I mean that's really precise mm-hmm. but before when they're just ditch into the it, crazy when they're ditch into the ocean and stuff it's like that's what two-thirds of the earth's surface it's a big target mm-hmm. yeah. but politically complicated in this case
2: yeah yeah and so but the, this was this was they had another big problem here is that when they start to descend turns out their, their module just starts spinning really, really fast and uncontrollably. And uh-huh. uh, and they're, you know, manual control at this point. And it turns out what happened was the orbital module, module which was supposed to detach, it mostly detached, but, but they, someone, apparently, I don't know if it was design or just a flaw in whatever thing that was supposed to disconnect automatically, but there was this big old cord connecting the the orbital module and the the landing one and uh, and it was just still attached it didn't detach and so you had this basically rope between the two things
0: a communication cord
2: right yeah and so and so what ended up happening is it just kept like swinging so they were kind of orbiting each other really fast and accelerating as it as it continued to descend um, almost like a slingshot so they were you know and that's going to create amazing amount of g-force and so yeah at the peak they had about 10 g's of force
0: which I was looking, and it was kind of around six to seven was the kind of reentry of those uh, yeah. later, later Apollo missions. Yeah. So ten G's is pretty good. Yeah. And
2: considering they're also like okay, so they lined up everything manually, they're doing that, and they were trying to hit you know a certain area, and then you got to be thinking they're sitting in there and just spinning around, and they you know did they know what was going on at that point? Probably not. They're just like spinning randomly, but. Luckily for them, around uh, uh, 62 miles high, 100 kilometers, uh, the cable kind of burned up a little bit and snapped. And then they started, you know, the craft, you know, just by design, stabilized. And uh, then they, they continued to descend and managed to land in the uh, two meters of snow
0: in Solokamsk, maybe. Sure. Yeah, why not? No idea. Siberia, basically. Not famous for its tropical climbs, is it? Yeah, but, you know, maybe the snow
2: cushioned their fall a little bit. But uh, then they had another problem. Is they tried to get out? They had these explosive bolts around the, the hatch that would blow, and then they could they could get out. So they they did blow.
0: Didn't this kill some Russians later or before? No, that was
2: a different that was a different thing with the, the detachment up up in orbit, which presumably the part where they detached the the um the orbital module, and yeah. then it ended up causing the the valve to open.
0: Oh, it was a valve, not the bolts. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, well, because the bolts on that case were supposed to go one at a time, and they just all blew at once, and that caused a, a pressure that made the valve fail, and then uh, they died. The Russians should really
0: work on their explosive bolts.
2: Well, they, in this case, the explosive bolts worked, but they, they couldn't open the hatch. And uh, so then they they looked, why, why isn't this opening? And uh, so Leonov said,
0: Looking out the window, we could see the hatch was jammed against a big birch tree. Oh, okay, so it's it, it, we can blame the birch tree on, on this yeah. one. <laughs> Yeah. We had no alternative but to start rocking the hatch violently back and forth, trying to shift it clear of the tree. Then, using all his strength, Pasha managed to push the hatch away from the remains of the bolts, and it slid back and disappeared into the snow.
2: So yeah, so back in uh, back in the headquarters there, the uh, uh, Leonov and uh, Belyegev's families, they told, I'm completely fine, they landed, they're good, they're resting, we'll have them yeah. back in Moscow. But in fact, the, the officials did not know if they landed safely, or whatever. They, they had no communication with them. They didn't know where they landed. They, they didn't even know if they were still alive.
0: And these uh, guys have got, I mean, 10 G's of pressure. What's that? Yeah. Uh, where was that Lenov quote? He said, uh, the small blood vessels in our eyes burst. So these yeah. guys are kind of in Siberia, in this capsule, pretty messed up. Yeah, like, and it's not like, you know, they're, they're dressed for, for Siberian weather. Um, no, they're either. dressed for space. As we know, yeah. space is not cold. Oh, I've got an amazing follow-up about this later okay. okay um i don't think i put it in the document but it's good you'll you'll be amused by it it's All right. not informational it's just fun sorry carry on All right.
2: so yeah so they did uh they did have their little transmitter and everything and they were transmitting and uh so, some civilian aircraft luckily picked up on it and uh and then uh, eventually the the information got passed back to the the headquarters about where they were exactly mm-hmm. and that they, they had landed and were alive and so but they were in siberia and we we're gonna have to spend a couple days there uh not really uh, prepared for that but the some of the civilian aircraft they they threw supplies down to them so like um like alcohol and um uh, see what else i think boots as well cognac fancy yeah. yeah 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 which 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 we're gonna do a little aside here because a lot I of people w- think alcohol warms you up in the cold but in fact it makes you colder much colder and
0: makes it much much more likely to get hypothermia if you're drinking
2: it in the cold
0: I've been pretty cold and I've cracked some whiskey, like camping or whatever. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel pretty good. Or is that just the, uh, the mental thing? Yeah, this is
2: exactly why it makes you feel warm. Is exactly why it's actually cooling you down. Um, wow. So when you're when you're in the cold, you know your your uh, your capillaries uh, they kind of close up, especially you know around your skin and your arms and stuff like this. Ah, to bring the blood like to the center, right? Yeah, to preserve, preserve it, your organs, preserve preserve the heat in the center because stuff that matters. matters. <laughs> yeah, the stuff that matters. <laughs> uh, and, and they'll what
0: sacrifice happen- your toes because you you need your lungs.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so alcohol is actually a vasodilator, and so it does the opposite of this it causes your blood vessels to open up and so then all that blood that nice warm blood goes to the surface of your skin everywhere and you that's where all your you know your little temperature whatever nerve endings sensors whatever you want to call them uh, they're yeah. there and so now you're feeling real warm but in fact you've just gotten rid of like one of your body's primary ways of of to conserve heat yeah now it's just radiating that heat nicely off into the air
0: feels feels pretty feels pretty good though <laughs> yeah uh,
2: on top of that you can also start sweating if you if you really overdo it like if you're really sloshing back and uh, yeah. and so then it's gonna make the problem even worse um so it's just maximizing blood flow to your to your skin instead of minimizing it like you would mm-hmm. so you're gonna, you feel super warm you're actually really cooling down rapidly but you know you don't notice which also makes it even more dangerous because you don't notice you know that you're actually your core temperature is dropping and you can see this people you know when they look flushed and stuff when they really sure. get drunk so that's that's you know the effect is your blood
0: vessels are just you know opening up and letting well, that blood out if you've got if you're an alcoholic right you kind of get that red face constantly is that oh, because yeah. those capillaries have been constantly oh, that's kind interesting. of
2: interesting or is it just because they're always drunk it's possibly it kind of does come with the territory doesn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, um, but the other thing also it does is, so the uh, there was a study done by the army research institute of environmental medicine and mm-hmm. they actually found the other reason it, it can make you even more cold is it it gets rid of your body's um, natural ability and tendency to shiver um, so it just oh. stops that from happening so you won't shiver even though you're cold. And so that's another way your body tries to generate heat. And uh, it's, so that's gone. And then you just, yeah, you just keep getting colder. And uh, yeah, so contrary to popular belief, don't don't drink the alcohol if you're if you're
0: going to freeze. So I feel like this is a really important survival tip. You can only drink alcohol if you're feeling really cold, closed. If it's kind of like, nah, you're, you're done for. You know, if you <laughs> just want to feel, if you just want to feel like if you're, you know, um Leo. DiCaprio in yeah. that Titanic scene, you know, you, you, it's it's game over. Have a sip, you know, make yourself feel yeah. so comfortable as you float down to the bottom of the Atlantic.
2: Yeah, well, well, at the last stages of hypothermia, you kind of feel warm anyway, right? You start to get that's why people take off their clothes and stuff because they start to feel ah. hot. Didn't know that, really. So yeah, you can just accelerate that process, I suppose. Yeah, well, yeah, and people start not thinking straight as well. Their brain stops working as well, and then they feel hot, so they, you know, logically they should know don't don't take those clothes off. But mm-hmm. they do. That's like a thing you see quite often, because um, you just feel hot. So, anyways, back to the cosmonauts. They did. They had their cognac, and I assume drinking it probably. But uh, so it was negative twenty-two degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> they probably were
0: like, we shouldn't drink this. We shouldn't drink this, pashev <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, negative twenty-two degrees Fahrenheit. Negative thirty degrees Celsius. That's what that is. And um, wow. Yeah, they also noted there were wolves around. They were hearing, so that's not good. And they couldn't reseal the the thing. You know, the, the bolts had blown the hatch off, and so now they're. You know, they're, they're just kind of, I mean, I'm sure they spent the night in the hatch, but or in the, in the little, the nature
0: of explosive bolts. They're a one-time thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. The other problem was, is they had actually on their way down and stuff, gotten really sweaty. And they actually, uh, he said they had sweat sloshing up to their ankles, which is not good for the cold. So they did. Um, yeah. So they he describes how
0: they got around this problem. Uh, we had to strip naked, take off our underwear and wring the moisture out of it. We then had to pour out what liquid had accumulated in our spacesuits. We went on to separate the rigid part of the suit from its softer lining, nine layers of aluminium foil and a synthetic material called dederone, and then put the softer part of the suits back on over our underwear and pull our boots and gloves back on.
2: Yeah, so they they did that and then they, you know, they spent a nice frigid night drinking cognac, presumably, mm-hmm. and uh, so the next day, though, uh, the the um, some help came in the in the form of some uh, people sent in skis, and so I don't mm-hmm. know why it wasn't really clear. I couldn't find out why they didn't just go then with the skis to what they did the next day, but so what they did instead was build a little log cabin. For some reason, and yep. uh, and built a nice fire. And then the next day after that, another crew came and also on skis. And then, uh, yeah, they, they all traveled. It was only nine kilometers or so to an area where they could land a helicopter to come get them. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they didn't have the helicopter ready or something. Uh, had to bring it in. Uh, so needed just send them supplies and like stuff to keep warm and everything.
0: But um, yeah, I'm sure there's a, a good reason. I'm, there had to have been a
2: good reason. But then, so then, no. uh, so yeah, they go back. Uh, they ra- arrived in the town of Leninsk, where they did a little, uh, you know, report to the media. And uh, Leonov just said about it.
0: Provided with a special suit, man can survive and work in open space. Thank you for your attention. <laughs> that was it? That's all he said?
2: That's all he said <laughs> Pub- publicly, I mean.
0: Uh, I, presumably he was
2: advised not to, uh, not uh-huh. to give the details of stuff, because the Soviet Union was often not so forthcoming about this the bad stuff that happened. What? Th- they were? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um They wanted to, you know make it look good so um yeah so that was that was their little adventure and it wasn't until much later that the, the actual details of him you know almost dying a couple times uh came out very cool so now we're now we're moving on to why do people think the the moon was made of cheese and we'll start uh nasa in 2000 this isn't actually,
0: related to this previous one is it this is a whole now. this no, is this just, is like just like the moon second section you know awesome cool. uh
2: right. so yeah so
0: nasa in 2002 actually released the following statement Using the new camera on the recently refitted Hubble Hubble Space Telescope, astronomers have been able to confirm that the moon is made of green cheese. The telling clue was the resolution of a numeric date, after which the moon may go bad. Controversy still exists, however, over whether the date resolved is truly an expiration date or just a sell-by date. I'm. I'm gonna bet I can guess what day they released that.
2: Yeah, it was on April 1st of 2002, yes, and so. But yeah, so how did this? How did this even come about? Why did people think the moon was made of cheese? Or where did this this come about? So that uh-huh.
0: um, this joke is so bad. Do you think it's too bad? to, to utter? Nah, you can tell it, and then I'll make fun of you. <laughs> is that is that original David material, or did you find that somewhere? No, that's original.
2: <laughs> We're gonna move on.
0: You've got to say it now. Come on. <laughs> no. Come on. Uh, I'm just, we, could ask, just, we could ask Joel to put the, our, our producer no, to put it the just, rimshot of cricket sounds. I think
2: people can just deduce the horribleness of the joke by noting that the the Milky Way is referenced.
0: No, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. <laughs> this is from David You might think that the rumor that the moon is made of green cheese got its start because it was formed in the Milky Way. <laughs> <laughs> given that you write like a lot of these scripts which are often very funny this is uh this is particularly I also, cheesy
2: i have uh, a <laughs> did, did you oh did he <laughs> i have a particular affinity to really 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 bad jokes though as well i just usually don't and put puns. them in the scripts. oh yeah really bad puns love them um so I usually just don't put them in. You're a master of puns, and good puns as well. <laughs> I usually don't put them in, though, because I know people you know, don't <laughs> appreciate them as much
0: as I do. Oh, okay, so uh, should, we, uh, should we move swiftly on?
2: <laughs> yeah, so so to start, with, to start with, nobody actually really thought the moon was made of cheese, or rather, uh, you know, no adults or whatever kids obviously did. They actually, there was a study uh, in 1902. I know see. this. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, they asked the uh, kids, you know, what what do you think the moon's made of? And this was in 1902, so you know, uh, but yeah. So the and the number one answer came back was uh, that that it was made of cheese. Um, so yeah, but but they also the other answers. This this wasn't setting the bar high because this these kids also said the other top answers: yellow paper, dead people, and rags.
0: <laughs> what is like like rags? Like like you'd wipe a surface down with. I guess I don't know.
2: Was this like several children came up with the answer rags? Or oh no, this, this was picture? like a this was like a mass survey and just to see you know kind of a fun how kind of thing.
0: how rat like it'd be like yeah just it's comp- I people. understand, like yellow paper sure dead we- people why not <laughs> heavens up there bones rags maybe? yeah I don't know but other than the kids other than the
2: kids and you know. The potential crazy person or two. Uh, uh, no, no one actually thought the moon was made of cheese. This, this, uh, and another uh, common misconception: it's not actually green. Doesn't signify like the color of the cheese here, obviously, because that would be weird because the moon's not green. But it actually that just means new. That was like another way to say new cheese. is sort of like before you, um, you know, press the press the way all out or whatever, or wow. or if the way had been freshly pressed, but the you know it hasn't
0: aged basically. Uh, well, we so, still use that today, don't we, to say someone is green? That's true. I don't know if that's the etymology, but maybe it is. Well, it must be, but uh, yeah, so it was, uh,
2: yeah, it used to just be a way to say new cheese that hadn't been aged. Um, so anyways, going back, uh, so where did the expression come from? Why, why did it become a popular thing? Because it was a very popular thing for a while. Um, and it goes all the way back to the 16th century, actually. And there's a couple mm-hmm. people that usually get cited as the originators of this thing, but they were really probably just the first people to, you know, that we have documented instance of it. So one was a French monk, uh, named François Francois Rabelais. Yeah, there you go. And then, well, uh, you're welcome. yeah. And then English writer, John Haywood, who has a, you know, a quote in English. So we're going to go with that one. So his, his, he first mentions it in the Proverbs of John Haywood written in 1546. And you, you can go uh, have fun with this one.
0: So I had a gut doing this before we, uh, like reading this aloud, um, before we did the episode today. And I, I I just couldn't get it right, so I'm just gonna go through, and people just, uh, because there is like, what is a circuit quoi? Like, yeah, fetch circuit quoi to make me believe. I'm like, and what's amazing to
2: me this is is then we'll go in a little bit. We're gonna talk about a quote that's like 80 years later or so, 90 years or so, and then it's like completely readable all of a sudden. Like, and it's like this English changed so quickly right there.
0: Although, if you read like some sort of overly literary book or poem mm-hmm. it's even today like the difference between that and like meeting yeah. the sun or like some like low brown mm-hmm. newspaper mm-hmm. is kind of you know that's that's a yeah it'd be like what does that word mean i've never heard that word before and that sentence mm-hmm. is a paragraph long it's like guys come on mm-hmm. anyway um mm-hmm. let me try and butcher this you fetch sir kwe kwe, to make me believe or think and there's an e on the ends, but i'm fairly sure it's just think yeah. that the moon is made of green cheese and when ye have made me a lout in all these, it seemeth ye would make me go to bed at no one. That was way way better than any of my practice. The pressure works for me.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, to translate that, uh, he's basically just saying only the extremely gullible would believe it. So it's just something that's if someone says something so ludicrous that only someone who's really gullible will believe it, that is the whole that is the whole um, idea behind the mm-hmm. the phrase. It was just sort of an expression there for that. And then, so yeah, so another early example, if we go to
0: 1565 in Shacklock's Hatchet of Heresies. Whilst they tell the truth, Luther and uh, Luther his load, yes, so that they may make their blind brotherhood and the ignorant sort believe that the moon is made of green cheese. See, this one is readable, but the spelling in there is. I wish people could see what I'm trying to read right now.
2: Yeah, it was before the standardization of the, the spelling, which is, you know, there, were, there weren't were grammar Nazis back then. Um, right.
0: I like that one, the brotherhood.
2: Brotherhood sounds like, the brotherhood. <laughs> brotherhood. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the brotherhood. <laughs> yeah, and how do you get the moon from M-O-N-E? Like, I mean, if you just sound it out, like, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Anyways. I don't know, dude. Let's just... uh, so, so moving on to more readable uh, quotes from John Wilkins' mm-hmm. New World book, uh, one, which he makes it explicitly clear the the meaning of the expression and, and that it actually was now
0: very common. You may as soon persuade some country peasants that the moon is made of green cheese, as we say, as that tis bigger than his cartwheel. See, that's all completely normal. The spelling's yeah. been standardized, Spelling. it's all very readable. And so, yeah, this was just a way to signify
2: gullibility. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and uh, in more recent times, people started to actually believe that people used to think this which is pretty ironic, actually. It's like
0: the world is flat thing, right? Did we mention that? Because this is one yeah, of my yeah, favorite yeah, ones.
2: Yeah, this is yeah. exactly. So people, uh, I was even taught this in, in like grade school and stuff that people used it to was, think it was
0: yeah. this huge thing. Like, yeah, Christopher yeah. Columbus, he thought he could fall off the side of the world. It's yeah, like, and everyone was no, like, no, no, yeah,
2: no, no one thought that really. It was just this was it had been it's been a couple uh, millennia that people have known that they're commonly known that the world was round, and in fact, Eratosthenes. Uh, he he was the, the head librarian at the Library of Alexandria in 240 BC or so. And he actually calculated within 2% accuracy the circumference of the Earth all the way back this is then.
0: Amazing.
2: Yeah, totally. This guy was amazing. Like he, he was incredible. He also did uh, so he calculated the distance from the Earth to the Sun and was only off by about a half a percent on his measurement. Amazing. Which is crazy. Uh, calculated the tilt of the Earth on its axis 2,260 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And the (laughs) tilt of the Earth on its axis was only off by a half a degree, which is also crazy. And uh, yeah, he's also the uh, father of geography, generally considered, because he he wrote quite a lot of works on geography.
0: You know what's even more impressive about that? I bet if you ask someone, like, is the Earth straight or on a tilt? I think you'd get like a 50-50 response (laughs) of like, sure or no. Because you always look at those maps of the solar system, it's always like, nice and straight, but it is tilted. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was the, kind of funny though. So as as impressive as he is, uh, like a lot of his work unfortunately is lost and everything. But uh, we have references, you know, to a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, he was known as to be second best at everything. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> was, was sort of his his thing is that he was like a preeminent mind, but like every, there was always someone who was better at each field. Like you know that he would try at but that was kind of the that kind of a reference to him. It was kind of funny. I thought. Uh, well,
0: this, I feel that's kind of the nature of of the Renaissance man, right? Yeah, like Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah true. He's just, he's good at a
2: lot of things. But anyways, so speaking of the moon, going back to, to space, mm-hmm. which is the whole thing. So the United States at one point, this is absolutely true. I did know
1: this.
0: It's amazing.
2: Uh, on nuking <laughs> the moon. Yeah. Not completely. Just just putting a nuke up there and just let's hit it with a nuke. Let's see what happens.
0: And the more amazing thing is the reason for doing it. It's kind of like that is, you, you hear that and you're like, oh, there must have been some proper reason for them doing this right but it's not (laughs) at all (laughs) no
2: it was just because we can yes basically and we can and you know it's something we can do to maybe make it look like hey we hit the moon with something we're ahead of the soviet union you know we did something you know, they haven't sent something to the moon, and we'll make it a. They nuke. haven't,
0: they haven't nuked the moon. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's also, you know, we're sending a nuclear bomb. Like that's, you know, pretty awesome too. And they specifically wanted a nuclear bomb because they wanted it to be able to be visible. They wanted the the explosion and the dust cloud, mm-hmm. however, to be visible from Earth. And so they also wanted it. Um, on that on that note, they wanted it to be kind of at the edge of where the moon, kind of like you know, so you could kind of see on the edge this sort of cloud going up instead of like straight on. So where the sun's hitting, so it'd be very visible from Earth. This is what they're going. It was called a study of lunar research flights or Project A119. And it was in the late 1950s. The the U.S. was, was planning on doing this or thinking
0: about it. It makes me wonder what all the the other 118 projects were. Like, yeah, they, well, they had
2: so many crazy, crazy projects Dude. around
0: this time. It was it was pretty fun. Um, but I feel like America, like not just with the space race, but with the communists and the CIA, had some pretty wild times in the 1950s and 60s. Totally, yeah. Things were pretty intense for a while. Yeah, like the
2: Project McCultra, which is no one's thought of that one's so like. Where is they that were the LSD lit-
0: one? Yeah, they were
2: literally giving people, random people, LSD just to see what happened without them knowing, just random citizens. Just like, here, here, yep.
0: we'll just slip them some
2: LSD. Let's see what happens. And were this- they
0: kidnapping them from brothels or like trapping them? Yeah, in brothels they did or stuff something? like
2: that. Some people got, some people died as a result. It wasn't, it wasn't like
0: awesome. Not a, not a, not a bright spot in the history of the CIA's. Yeah, uh, it Was this. Was the CIA leading this or the precursor to the CIA?
2: Yeah, um, this, this in general wasn't like... A, I feel like the Cold War with the CIA was not a time of like, they weren't really following the rules so much, just no. doing kind of whatever they wanted.
0: Although people are going to look back on those Snowden leaks, like in the future and be like, whoa, yeah. like even now, I feel that that is underplayed, like quite how serious that was. Yeah, like, yeah. Just the level of spying. Well, a lot of,
2: the, I guess, yeah, when you're... When it's the time, like, especially if you're in that time, you're like, well, well, it is the Cold War. We don't want to get nuked. Like, we want them to be able to have these extra powers to do stuff. And, you know, there's probably some element of truth to that anyway. But um, anyways, back to nuking the moon. Uh, So
0: they have... uh, Back to the important stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Raffel? i say rifle. Rifle? (laughs) (laughs) Leonard. Leonard What Would you say Leonard or Leonard? Dude, I don't know. I was just making fun. I... I... (laughs) I just because he inv- he uh, he came up with the idea of the the missile to do it right. So yeah, it's so, funny if his name was Rifle. But so he was, was he was put in charge. <laughs> that, that's true. So he was put in charge of the the whole
2: thing, and uh, he thought it would be quite easy actually. Take a intercontinental uh, ballistic missile and just mm-hmm. shoot it off there. Wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, and he thought he could hit it with about an accuracy of about two miles, which also demonstrated sort of something the U.S. could shoot and hit a target that small that far away. Like that's going to make the Soviets n- nervous. It's pretty um, impressive. Yeah, that would be impressive, but they didn't think it would be that hard. And actually, a little aside here, Carl Sagan, everybody knows Carl Sagan, <laughs> I feel like, or at least has heard of him. He was actually, this was, he was a quite young, young scientist, just budding, just getting his start. And he got mm-hmm. hired on for this project. And his job was to study how the cloud would would sort of form, because, you know, like on, on Earth, it would be like a mushroom cloud. But how would it form, you know, without air and without the, you know, all that? What What would it look like? And so, yeah, it was basically his job to figure out what it would look like, how big the cloud would be and stuff like that. And, uh, and make sure that they, that it would, you know, be visible from earth, which was kind of the yeah. whole point as the demonstration. Specifically Russia. <laughs> yeah. They wanted, they wanted to make sure everyone could know we, we, we nuked the moon. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, they, uh, so he, he, Saiken actually proposed that this was actually have a lot of scientific merit too. It wouldn't just be because they could, the cloud, you have the cloud with the sun illuminating, you could learn a lot about the moon's composition um, doing spectral analysis and stuff like that. So he thought this was, this was actually a great idea for science. Always good for science to blow things up anyway. So, yeah, uh, but uh, unfortunately, when, when the plan got all hashed out, they decided not to do it because, you know, the world in general might not, respond favorably to the US nuking the moon
0: so they ran it through it was like the engineers <laughs> said yes the scientists said yes they ran it through like public mm-hmm. relations and they were like mm, probably not guys yeah like, veto this know, one.
2: pretty cool but also yeah, yeah people aren't going to be happy about that <laughs> N- nice idea however <laughs> yeah. but the, the US was like well if we can't nuke the moon we should at least mm-hmm. nuke something in space
0: you which gotta nuke something
2: which brings us around to Britain <laughs> so oh so people, people don't, you know, Britain's not really a space powerhouse. I was going to no, say, people, we have yeah. stuff
0: in space. Yeah, it is, and nobody,
2: nobody really thinks. But in fact, Britain was the third country to have a satellite operating in space. Um, really? Which, yes, yes. Wow. Now, it, was, it was with... Go the, Britain! Yeah, so so what, so what happened was the U.S. Uh, kind of announced around the same time they were planning on nuking the moon that if any countries wanted to put something in space, they would happily, you know, help out. The U.S. would, would help them launch it and everything. And so, so Britain... Uh, took them up it's on the offer. Generous. Yeah. The Britain was like, all right, we'll design a satellite to to study the ionosphere. Um, so they, you know, they ended up pretty quickly hashing out the plan with the U.S. going to blow this up? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> what? <gonna laughs> We're going to spend a few years building this satellite, so, you know, make sure you don't blow it up. Uh, and so instead, uh, and so the the plan got, uh, got pushed through the U.S., you know, Britain yeah. get along well. And so they, uh, they do spend a few years designing this satellite. They send it over to the U.S., US plops it in their little Thor Delta rocket and makes the little
0: uh, you know greatest name for a rocket ever by the way <laughs> yeah. Thor Delta
2: yeah and so they launch it into space and uh, on the oh. Ariel 1 was what the satellite was called was Ariel 1 and so 1959 then this is again not long after the US uh, decided not to nuke the moon for some reason mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so it's up there it's operating you know quite nicely everything is checking out and then then they start uh, they start getting weird readings from it and so it turns out, not not long after after they sent it up, the U.S. decided to to launch a nuke into space, and you know just to um, again kind of just see what would happen. Oh, I should go back to what that maybe I should say what the Aero One was supposed to do. It so it had you know like a tape recorder and sending stuff, and it was it was trying to basically look at the ionosphere and how it worked because there there wasn't really a lot of hard data and stuff. I mean, obviously. They had ideas and stuff but they really wanted to see you know close and personal get sensor readings and everything of, of how it worked um and everything so it's it's working nicely and then and then all of a sudden it stops working and uh-huh. they're like what what happened here and so it turns out the us uh decided to to send a 1.4 megaton nuclear weapon named Starfish Prime to the upper atmosphere. People a, were just better at naming stuff in the past. It was, and who named what? these military things? Because, they, they, you know, did they have like a round table? Like, how does this, or is it
0: just like the commanding officer of some things like Starfish Prime? That's awesome. I like to think they have like a general in, you know, in those movies, they have like the bunker underneath the White House where they all like <laughs> sit around really serious. And then you've got the kind of guy who's like, I don't know, his dad like contributed 10 million to their com- someone's campaign. And so they made him like a four star general. He's just sitting in the corner and they just give him the job of coming up with names to stuff. So everyone's like, okay, we're going to launch it at this date. Jeff, Jeff, what should we call it? <laughs> Stomach Prime.
2: Yeah. And then and the, the whole operation was called uh, Project Fishbowl. Um, which oh my is, God. Wow. Uh, yeah, the Earth. There I guess, go. I suppose that one's the Earth. This is the fishbowl, and they're gonna send up a nuke and explode it
0: for Delta.
2: Now, to, to be fair to the U.S. scientists, they didn't launch, they didn't explode the nuke near near the Ariel One satellite. It just turns out that the shock wave, the wave of radiation, and all that that went around the Earth uh, was was sufficient enough to knock out the the Ariel One and pretty much every other satellite in orbit at the well time. It is a nuclear bomb. Yeah, but but it was like they, to be fair, it was like on the other side of the planet at the time, uh, so they didn't. They just fair didn't enough. quite adequately uh, get the extent of what uh, of the of the wave of radiation and stuff that would go around, and they knocked out. Um, see what was it? One third of all the satellites in low Earth orbit at the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also this uh, most famously was the Telstar satellite which was the first commercial communication relay satellite and this the Telstar wasn't even in orbit at the time of the explosion this uh, the the it just had the residual effects of this blast so it got launched a little bit after that and put in orbit and then um yeah so but the the extra radiation and all that took um quite a long time to dissipate and the the people who designed the Telstar satellite hadn't accounted for this extra radiation and stuff and so a lot of the transistors and stuff went out on the command system and then it just stopped working uh, I think within a few months or something like that Uh, just kind of systems degraded and that was that was done that satellite so yeah even after even after they were still affecting uh stuff that
0: went up later they were complaining about that starfish prime detonation for years (laughs) yeah
2: yeah starfish prime and so and this wasn't even the the starfish prime one wasn't the the explosion wasn't even the first they had actually tried to to nuke in send a nuke up in space before um but the the rocket actually failed and when the rocket failed it has a self-destruct on it uh-huh. so automatically so it would get rid of the you know explode the nuclear warhead without actually you know detonating the, the nuclear part of it um mm-hmm. so yeah so but the problem was this then just rained down radioactive stuff on the um the johnson and sand islands there and uh not that far from the hawaiian islands so uh-huh. not good and and uh, they knocked out some 900 or so miles away from the blast of the of the actual, you know, nuclear explosion that went up. The electromagnetic pulse knocked out um, all the lights, the street lights, and the telephone system uh, in Hawaii, uh, which can you imagine that today? So like back then, there wasn't like a ton of electronic systems. I was just over. thinking that would wreck everything, right? Yeah, 900 or so miles away from the explosion. And just like that electromagnetic pulse just took out all the electrical <laughs> stuff. And so, yeah, today that would be... That would be quite devastating, actually, Um, cause a lot of damage. So, yeah, that wasn't a good idea, as it turns out. But speaking of dropping nuclear material on things when you don't mean to. uh, Mm -hmm. So did you know that the U.S. once dropped not one, not two, not three, but four nuclear bombs on Spain? Did not know that. Yeah, accidentally, of course. I'm
0: assuming they didn't go off because I feel like I would know that if they did.
2: No, they luckily did not go off, although they did spread a lot of, uh, I mean, the, the, well, I'll get into it in a minute. So, so how did this happen? What I mean, this uh-huh. was an accident, clearly. They weren't trying to nuke Spain <laughs> randomly. Um, so, they, like, uh, so who should we provoke
1: now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just Spanish.
0: A,
2: it was just a show like the Soviet Union, hey, we even, we even nuke our sort of allies. So you just better wash out.
0: Let this be a lesson to you.
2: <laughs> yeah. So there was a B-52G bomber which was holding the the four nukes, uh, seventy kiloton nukes. um, So yeah, and and it was getting refueled by the KC-135 Stratotanker, and it Mm -hmm. turns out uh, they they collided in midair. The the two um, planes collided, and uh, you know went down. And in the process, all the nukes also got ejected.
0: (laughs) This is very like casual. Just well, we were refueling. There was a crash. All of the nukes.
2: Well, yeah, and they have a person who's watching out. Or if the planes are getting too close, and it's like manually, so it's not even like sensors. There's like literally physically watching the planes, make sure they're keeping their distance. And for some reason, that person never, never. There's no record of them ever giving any warning that the planes were suddenly getting close, and uh, and then they collide too, or too close, and then they
0: collided. And he was never heard from again. <laughs> no, he was not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and that's where the historical record ends. Yeah. So
2: they do know three of the three of the nukes fell uh, mm. near the village of pa- Palemare, Spain. Yeah, sure. okay. Uh, and the fourth one the the parachute for some reason de- deployed, so maybe it was like an automatic, but I don't know why the other three didn't. So a parachute deployed, so then it floated off and found its way into the Mediterranean, not not too far away. Um uh-huh. which was a problem later. Uh but so the three that fell near the near the village uh ended up um let's see so two of them actually had, they have these explosive igniters that actually are supposed to, you know, force the, I don't know what type of nukes they were, if they're the ones like the ramming ones or whatever, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're supposed to you know ignite the nuclear explosion or whatever, but they, I mean, it wasn't in the armed position or whatever. I don't know what kind it was, but either way, they <laughs> yeah, good. The igniters did go off. the That part of the explosion did go off, but it did not, uh you know, uh, generate the chain reaction for the nuke to then go off. Um, but yeah, but the, what it did do is spread nuclear material all over the place uh, within good. within a few mile radius, which wasn't good because it was near a village and that caused a lot of problems. The third one landed in a um, in a riverbed so it didn't the explosive didn't go off so it was quite intact. And I might point out here that these things were estimated to cost 2 billion dollars a piece, which is about 15 billion dollars today each one. Good lord. The, this was an expensive wreck. And so yeah, the How other many one, of them were there? 3? 4. 4 total.
0: That's like yeah, $60 so, billion. Dollars. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And uh, so the fourth one... I the, even... That's a lot of, I know military spending is high. Yeah. But that is a lot.
2: Well, back then they could, you know, they had kind of unlimited budget because it was the Cold War. So,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's still like yeah. GDP to consider. And I'm sure that was like... Yeah. That's not nothing.
2: Yeah. So, that's yeah. That's like the, a good number of hospitals. <laughs> the fourth one was a problem because yes. it landed in the sea in the mediterranean sea and so where how do you find this thing because they need to recover it obviously they can't just leave a nuke lying around somewhere um so they end up uh, luckily uh francisco simo orts he was a fisherman uh he saw mm. kind of roughly where it hit and so he helped the military kind of locate that area and then they did lots of dives and stuff and it took them it actually took them quite a while to actually find it under the water but they did find it eventually and this is great the the SEMO Orts guy he you know they have salvage rights if you're the, if you're the locator of something and he sort of located it cuz he saw where it hit the water and if not for him they would have really uh, had trouble finding it and so he claimed that he deserved the the traditional 1 to 2% salvage rights fee and he hired That's a lawyer amazing and this this I mean, at the one percent is like twenty million dollars, obviously, and so that's yeah. about one hundred fifty-three million dollars today, and so that's what he said the U.S. <laughs> owed him, and uh, and so yeah, by the Secretary of Defense's own valuation of the nukes was, the, was that's where the two billion dollar figure came. Um, kind so, of
0: fair, yeah. I mean, like I know it's crazy, but it's kind of yeah. I mean, like, he didn't get it.
2: he didn't technically find it, but find they wouldn't it, have found maybe. it without him, so that was true. Uh, so yeah, so he claimed it, hired a lawyer, they did settle out of court. Not known how much he got, but I'm
0: sure he got a lot. Oh, yeah. If he was going after 153 million. And I feel like I feel like if someone's saying, like, I'm going after 153 million. It's like, yeah, but you just got burned from your coffee. Everyone's like, that's never going to happen. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But I look at this and I'm like, well, I can kind of see that. Well so yeah, he's getting paid.
2: The US military is probably eager not to have this be like a lengthy court battle that keeps in the press, like, oh yeah, we yeah. accidentally dropped a bunch of nukes that are worth Remember a lot of money. Remember how badly we screwed up, guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just spent like sixty billion dollars on nothing and lots of and what, what was it? Like a you know, six to ten people or something died in the process. Um, and we spread nuclear nuclear waste all over near this town in Spain.
0: So Yeah, one of our allies. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: Yeah, so they, you know, they probably were just like, yeah, give him whatever, we'll go away. But anyways, so the the, the other reason this is noteworthy is that there was a guy named Carl Brashear, and he mm-hmm. he in the process, he was a diver, and in the process of trying to get the the nuke, recover it, he ended up losing his leg uh, oh. in an accident. It got crushed, and uh, why a dive? Uh, yeah, I assume so. Wow. But uh, yeah, so. It's not a Anyways, the the point being that if you've ever seen the movie Men of Honor, this was one of the uh, partial inspirations for that movie.
0: I have not, but that's quite a cast: Cuba Gooding Jr., Robert De Niro, Charlie yeah. Theron. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. The time the U.S. nuked Spain—that would be a very clickable video title. Yeah,
2: I don't know why we haven't done that one yet. So, speaking of the uh, the U.S. detonating nukes in the upper atmosphere, so um, so you might people might be going, so what what was the point? So I kind of said it was just kind of because, and it was kind of just because, uh, mostly. But the uh, there was sort of. Uh, some thinking behind it so there's this uh there's this uh, history professor james fleming and so he kind of combed through these top secret files to you know now that are released in public and to look yeah. at what, what what were they doing you know and it turns out so you've have you ever heard of the van allen belts
0: uh the, on those those vaguely uh radiation things, belts. Loop. yeah yeah thank yeah, you. yeah
2: yeah and so yeah so he announces to the world he discovers these these things um yeah, the radiation belts around the Earth, mm-hmm. and so at the very same day he announces this, he also proposes to the military that we should we should nuke it, we should nuke these radiation belts just to see what would happen. And so
0: then the the professor Fleming actually had a, I, he had a kind of a funny quote about this. Uh, he said, "This is the first occasion I've ever discovered where someone discovered something and immediately decided to blow it up for science. <laughs> for science, <laughs> yeah." Of course, yeah, yeah. Which uh, that was not part of his quote.
2: That was yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, And this be awesome because and again, scientists like to blow stuff up. Uh, the, and when when you're Britain at this point, I don't think Britain had nukes at this point,
0: did they? Oh, Early I 1960s. don't actually know. Yeah, um, so,
2: but but so even if they did, they, they didn't weren't so uh, audacious to to maybe waste the money. Him, but they still like to blow stuff up so that the British did actually attach grenades to suborbital rockets uh, to to explode them in the atmosphere also just to see what would happen. So, you know, they use what they got, the explosions they have on hand.
0: That's that's pretty crazy. I'm just fascinated by, yeah, 60 billion is a lot of money. Because yeah. I just look, if that was the UK, today the, the GDP of the UK is 2.6 trillion dollars. And I'm like, so that's 0.0 trillion six that's not like it that's like point mm-hmm. nearly point one percent if you're rounding up of the mm-hmm. entire gdp of the country on four bombs granted it was america your gdp is going to be a lot higher yeah. but that's a lot of money
2: yeah totally
0: but yeah scientists they like to blow stuff up so they love yeah. blowing stuff up yeah actually Never in cost by this episode
2: <laughs> i did in college um so i was in uh, i don't know it was special relativity or something like that um uh, with uh, i had a lot of courses with this one professor i really like the she was um physics professor and all that all the higher level ones So really good teacher but anyways yeah. the point being so we go into class one day and and we're you know thinking we're gonna you know learn about you know something cool like uh which special relativity if you ever that that class or like a cosmology or something blows your mind like every day like every lecture is just like whoa that's amazing but anyways this one literally blew our minds because she said
0: this video brought to you by Skillshare. <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> she said, "She said no. I've cancelled my lecture today. I've just found out we're blowing stuff up outside, so let's go. I'll do that." And so we go and this some other class. They had decided for reasons unknown. Uh, this, this I think it was a graduate level class too, where they had these fifty gra- gallon drums of water. Which what is that? What is that like four, five hundred pounds? Well, I was thinking like the weight, four, five hundred pounds maybe oh, or something. Um, 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 and four, that's probably more than that in
0: liters. How much was it? You say. 50-gallon uh, drums of water. 50 gallons in pounds is... Oh, I need to choose my uh, <laughs> substance. <laughs> of course. And for some reason, I've been linked to a YouTube video. I'm going to uh, guess let's 280. What do you think? 280 or something? Anyway,
1: okay. The point
2: being, for some reason, they put explosives underneath these 50-gallon drums of water and were launching them to see how high they could launch them in the air. For science, I guess. I don't know. And where do you
0: get explosives that can do that? I don't know. That's a lot of weight. And
2: they kept, they had like a series of progressive ones to see, you know, who could get higher or whatever. But it was, it was, it was all good fun. And
0: that's what we did that class. So just scientists love to blow stuff up
2: was the point of that.
0: Yeah. I remember there was uh, the This is less exciting after your example, but when I was uh, at high school, equivalent of high school, and there was, um, we'd have chemistry class, you know, the alkali metals. So you've got like your lithium, Mm -hmm. your sodium, your potassium, your uh, cesium, francium, the other ones, whatever they are. And there was only like, you could get them for the labs in the school, but you could only Mm -hmm. get potassium. That was the highest uh, up the reactive alkali Mm -hmm. metals you could get. So my chemistry teacher, he was like, I just bought a massive one. So, normally you get these little pea <laughs> yeah. sized bits. Yeah. So, he had something that was like the size of a fist. <laughs> and he like takes it out of the oil or whatever that you keep it And He's like, we should go outside. So, he gets like an ice cream tub, fills it up with water. And it's like pouring with rain outside. And he gets one of the kids, he's like, put on these safety goggles, put on this like. Uh, <laughs> You'll be <leather>. fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, go throw it into the thing. And he misses and it. it rolls along the wet, the wet, uh, like. Um, the, the tiles or whatever mm-hmm. outside because it was raining and it's like fizzing and the kid just grabs it he just runs oh, no. it grabs it and dumps it in the water and it's just <laughs> it was great one of the highlights of my schooling so yeah. yeah blowing stuff
2: up good good fun we had in high school too I had uh, we had took like sodium or something I mean, we didn't get to handle it of course uh, they weren't so brave our teacher was not
0: so brave I'm not sure that was that was allowed yeah <laughs> but yeah we did get to watch it go boom um, which yeah, was fun it was a good time. There's yeah. some great YouTube videos of that happening. There's one from like the 90s or whatever, and it's like, ah, oh, rubidium is the one that's after potassium, and then I think they get radioactive. <laughs> and there's then he's like putting the potassium, and it's like, psst, whoop, 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 whoop. and then he puts rubidium in it, and it completely it shatters the glass <laughs> that is protect the the like the safety glass, and it's like, whoa, it was cool. Yeah, check the video out. That is the
2: that's the space talk for today. Um, I did want to. I actually did want to say you had a, t- a tweet uh, on uh, Twitter there, naturally, uh, where you you talk about. So we were talking about last episode or the one before about how the Apollo mission uh, how they they're really inappropriate. If you go read the transcripts, they oh, just yeah. bad language. And you had a great
0: quote that you found on one of them. Well, I was just on holiday for two weeks, so I downloaded a bunch of these. Uh, I made a mistake at first because they have them all on the NASA website or whatever. Uh, and these these are the transcripts of what the astronauts are saying to. You most of them are communicating with capcom so it's them kind of talking about pretty standard things like we need to release the valve valve released blah yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. but the ones that are kind of like exciting are the ones where it's just them in the cockpit mm-hmm. so it's not them talking with capcom it's just the astronauts bantering with each other and i read a bunch of these so uh producer joel you might want to bleep some of these out i'm just going to read it as it is <laughs> So this is, oh, I didn't write down which one it was, but it was on one of the Apollo missions. And the dude says, oh, you stupid son of a bitch. God damn, these things are really about to piss me off. I get that sucker open and the son of a bitch shuts up again. And um, I really spend more fucking time trying to put goddamn water bags together than anything else. <laughs> this is amazing. And the more amazing thing is I wrote this in my tweet. They don't say fucking. Uh, this is going to sound really weird they don't say the F w- because it's all bleeped out I guess you don't, they don't say the F word they change it to it's not fracking it's uh, yeah, freaking I think is the, freaking. Yeah. they freaking they <laughs> edit it for the transcript yeah. yeah and I was like is that really what's going on so I googled it and uh, someone's like oh no just the transcriptionist at NASA uh, yeah, she was trying to keep things clean yeah. <laughs> yeah although I think <laughs> sucker. that's <laughs> yes <laughs> that's an insult. i haven't heard in a long time and he's just calling an inanimate object a <laughs> sucker it's pretty funny
2: this is this is the thing when i was reading through those ones those many hundreds a couple hundred pages there it was just like they're doing this all the time they're just like so inappropriate constantly and so you know bad language and it's just it's such a different because you know you see them in the in the media reels and on their interviews and they're just like the prim and proper like uh you know like Gee
0: Willikers, and, you know, but uh, they're kind of like they're they're like Air Force flyboys, right? Like yeah. they're more like your Top Gun people rather than your scientists. Yeah, totally the Top
2: Gun. Like uh, you have the, that that uh, we got that one video, of the Don Draper of the skies, because oh, uh, the,
0: they were all Don, with Alan Shepard.
2: Yeah, they were all basically when they were in training. To, to sum up, when they were in training, so they had their wives and their prim and proper thing back home. That they all, everything was above board, looked really good to the media, <laughs> and then they you would get them on their own animals in yeah. their training, and they were just sleeping with everyone who walked and um and just (laughs) awful uh, the whole just yeah
0: the don draper alan shepard is an app alan shepard was like the worst except for uh so what was it um who's the old guy that went to glenn uh i know who you mean um the guy who went to space like way later when he was older or are we talking about someone else john glenn there we go john glenn okay yeah so john glenn was
2: actually one of them that he was actually sort of the the what was presented more on the on the to the media, and he he had a lot of problems with Alan Shepard and the others, and trying to get everyone else to behave because they were constantly just doing stuff that if the media ever found out, like the space program would just be shot because there was already a lot of controversy. This is one of the contrary to popular belief is like the you know, you know, the greatest generation. We we sent you know the, these people to the moon and all this, and it turns out American. America at the time really was largely, the polls say, against the space program at all and the tax funding. It's a lot of money, right? Yeah. Yeah. As similar to today where it's just like, yeah, it's too much money. It's a waste of money. And this is kind of was the general consensus at the time it was more the us just doing it to show off basically uh, anyway the government was doing it anyway despite the populace. so um so yeah so it was uh, sort of tenuous and if a lot of the stuff the astronauts were doing would get out especially like 1960s sensibilities uh, mm-hmm. they, it would have been it would have been a bad time for the space program so he was he was trying to like hey guys let's we got to we got to shape up you know like not do this stuff all the time um, but and they were like I, yeah I no we like we're just going to
0: do what we want cuz <laughs> Didn't the public know who these guys were? I mean, you can present whatever image you want to the media, but this was the 1960s. These were yeah. kind of like, I, you know, I feel like M- Mad Men is a nice, is an interesting look into that generation of like what men were like, yeah. especially powerful men. And these guys no. were kind of powerful heroes. Well, yeah. But, and
2: what, what and it was, <laughs> what I mean, really think was up. You, re, you look at some of the quotes of like their wives, what did they think? And it was basically like, yeah, when you're away, but when you're back home you you yeah. do not do any of these things you are the prim and proper person you know like uh, and that was kind of the the general consensus there um, which by yeah. the way uh, oh maybe i'll leave this for the bonus fact there's a there's an, uh, there's a fun bonus fact with uh, it might have even been john glenn are uh, we doing
0: bonus facts today or did we wrap up these is that another another episode we got
2: uh, tons of bonus facts and that's probably going to be the next couple episodes is just bonus facts or maybe just a really long bonus fact but I, it might have been john glenn and his wife they have uh, it's a fun one of the astronauts, anyway. It's a fun, okay. fun story. I'm gonna. I'll put it in the bonus.
0: Okay. I've got some follow up, more follow up. Have you got okay. other follow ups you want to do? No, no. That's all I got. I, I got a couple. Okay. So I, I was saying about the the freezing in space, right, and how it's cold. And I said I had an amazing, like, it's entertaining. It's not useful at all, but it mm-hmm. is. It, it was just so appropriate. So I've just been on holiday for a couple of weeks, and uh, my well, now my wife and I, we have like a mm-hmm. a bit of a tradition. Like, you know, if there's good internet, we'll watch it, like a Netflix movie or whatever in the evening. And normally what we do is we first go through every Nicolas Cage movie that's come out. So Nicolas Cage makes a lot of movies because he owes a lot of people a lot of money. So he makes a lot of bad movies and a lot of them get... There's a lot on Netflix. So we're like, watch these bad movies and we don't always make it through, but it's just kind of like a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then somehow my recommendation engine gets a bit weird. And so I got something called The Cloverfield Paradox. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've heard of this. I've never heard of this movie. It's just like a... I think it's actually. I think J.J. Abrams produced it, but it had kind of of a B B movie feel. Yeah. Um, Okay. So there's this. They're in space. Blah blah blah. It doesn't matter. Uh, So they're in space, and a woman gets trapped in an airlock. Okay, Mm -hmm. and then it starts filling with water because obviously there's some water running past the airlock. Right. It's already stupid, (laughs) and we're in an airlock. Right. So the water's pouring into the airlock and it's filling up with water. Mm -hmm. The first problem is, how does that possibly work? Air pressure is a thing. That water's not going to come in. Or something terrible is going to happen to her as the pressure increases. Mm -hmm. Um, But secondly, that's all fine. Let's just theoretically go with that. So it fills up and then the outside hatch blows off. Mm -hmm. So, And instantly, everything freezes. Mm -hmm. Like, the... All, all, it's a big airlock. All of the water is just flash frozen in an instant. And mm-hmm. she's just frozen in the ice, licking through. And I'm like, we just talked about it. That is so dumb. And I'm just like, that yeah, would not happen. That, I wonder all. what
2: in that. So it would probably just like get gassy state real quick. I mean, there would be like a drop, but it wouldn't. Yeah, it would just be like, Probably.
0: Just, even if it was absolute zero outside yeah no i I'm i know. pretty sure it would no. just because
2: all the all the molecules would instantly just like want to spread apart and in their little gaseous state so yeah yeah you know.
0: no i watched that and i was like mm, mm, but, <laughs> yeah and i watched more nicholas cage <laughs> just had to fill like, yeah, yeah. nicholas cage wasn't in this movie it was just i think recommended from like
2: have we I done that? Have maybe. we done that one on? The, I don't think we have. About on his the, dinosaur skull. Yeah, about his spending no, habit. story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nuts. Absolutely. <laughs> just nuts.
2: buying everything in sight and just spending money on whatever. He even had the, yeah. at one point like a car in his house, and it wasn't really clear how he got it. Like it, it probably had to take down the wall of the house to get the car in that, and then put the wall back up, or I or build or this. take the part,
0: car apart and have someone build it inside. One yeah. of the other happened. And he just, he, he would have it there. Like, this was in, in your article. So I'm sure you know this. I just read it because it was a good one. Like, yeah, I, yeah. we've not made it yet, but I was like, this is, I think I just came across it. Yeah. And it's just, he would have these absolutely wild Gatsby style parties. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, Nick Cage.
2: Yeah. And this is yeah. why he's in every movie, yeah. any yeah. movie that they'll pay him.
0: And this is the thing Nicholas Cage is a good actor. Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage has done great movies and he can clearly act. I think once he kind of gets his shit together, he's going to have like a resurgence. I'm waiting for the day when Nicolas Cage does good movies.
2: Well, he yeah. did when he, when he finally got, you know, hit rock bottom there with his finances. He did sort of like, but he's still now he's just more moderated, but still like he still likes his comic book conventions and uh, which actually yeah. if you go, apparently a lot of the comic book conventions, he's a huge comic book fan. You'll find him there mm-hmm. and uh, he buys wow. expensive comics. Yeah, there you go. He's spending his money, yeah. spending his money. Look forward to oh, that uh, video at some point because that that is an interesting
0: one. There's dinosaur skulls in there as well. Yeah, how could you, how could you not love that? Yeah, I want to do some reviews uh, just because it's good to and to give back, and it's nice to, that people leave us reviews. Then I've got something amazing to share. Okay, and not just with you, but with our whole audience, because oh. it's it's possibly my favorite thing that's happened to me this year. Oh, really? Um, well, oh, that's, yeah. I, well. Oh, yeah. You know what this is, I think. Okay. I, or, unless you haven't been through all the emails. I send you a huge number of emails, so maybe you haven't seen it yet. It's amazing. All right. Um, all right. I'll give you a clue. It's to do with Vladimir Putin. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know I what
2: know. it is, right? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, though. Now, does Dami listen to these podcasts? Because that quote, just to admit, you might want to cut that out. <laughs> Wait, which quote? the
0: one where you said it was the most oh, amazing the best, thing that happened ah, yeah. all year. Let's just say it's the most amazing work. Uh, come on, it's been like Dom- 2 weeks. Tommy <laughs> is the woman who became my wife uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I really should say work thing. <laughs> yes. Uh no. Uh let's let's move swiftly on. But it is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Uh okay, I want to thank. Uh, we've had a bunch of five-star reviews, which is always nice. Uh and like I said at the beginning of the, episode, of the episode, if you jump on over to wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a review. When we hit 200 reviews on iTunes, just because I don't want to add up all the number of reviews from different platforms, we're going to pick someone at random from all of the platforms like Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Addicts, uh, iTunes, K-Spark. Android, K-Spark. Android's a operating system, not a podcast <laughs> platform. Uh, let's do those things. Uh, we'll pick someone at random and give them a gift voucher on Amazon and two other people will get. Uh, runner-up vouchers of 50 bucks each Uh, North Fallen I'm not really a podcast person but S&D Simon and Davin I'm going to guess rather than supply and demand (laughs) have great chemistry and make this show so relaxing I feel like I'm sitting down at the bar with some friends for trivia night you know you would win with them on your team I'm surprisingly (laughs) terrible at pub quizzes just because you think like oh Simon must be really good at this but then it's like especially in the uk because they'll be like in eastenders which is like a uk uh, soap who yeah. was married to this person i'm like no idea and then it's like which team won the world cup in 1996 yeah. like no idea and so yeah. i'm surprisingly useless at this, this stuff
2: is, this is the thing i am great at trivial pursuit like the standard one you know yeah. but if you get like the you know the entertainment one or whatever i'm i know nothing i'm absolutely nothing it's like Kim Kardashian's sister <laughs> is. <laughs> no yeah, idea. Like pop culture ones. It's just unless, I mean, if it's to do with music, maybe I'd, I'd hit that. But anything else, it's not, yeah, I'm not going to get that.
0: Yeah. So sorry, Northfallen. Uh don't, don't pick me for your pub quiz. Yeah. Brad and Danielle Tiense, I discovered today, I found that back in 2013. Wow, there you go. That was before we wow. met each other. Wow. And I've been watching Simon on Top Tens for about two years now. I found the podcast when someone, Simon, plugged it on YouTube. I I was super happy when I learned that you two knew each other. Uh, Also, they don't know that we have a YouTube channel together. We also have that, (laughs) (laughs) that you two know each other. Love the podcast and love you guys. I'm probably in the minority, but I enjoyed the longer format of the Mm -hmm. podcast better. Still though, five out of five. There you go. Mm, awesome. Should I do one more or should we wrap it up there? What do you think?
2: Uh, do you want to do a couple on the social media? Because we do have that brain food show um, thing. Always. Always.
0: I feel like by having this at the end, we have a bit more flexibility. Because if people don't like this, they can Maybe just turn just off. Turn it off.
2: <laughs> but they are waiting for that cliffhanger of a what's your favorite thing that's happened to you all year that's, you know, not dummy.
0: Well, Did I did I do that on purpose? I might have done that on purpose. <laughs> uh, Shannon Brinson says uh, on Twitter... Uh, someone uh, told myself I wasn't going to get into podcasts, but I failed due to hashtag brain food Show. Love the interesting history ones. I'm particularly fond of the Julius Caesar episodes. That was a three-parter, right? That was a fun I one. I like that one as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's up there. I like that one. Toto, hashtag brain food Show. I really enjoyed the Warcraft movie. It's not amazing. Ah, oh, this is like a callback to us talking yeah. about comic book movies. Uh, Things, what was it? Yeah, if there was a... Games that became movies. Yeah, then if there
2: was actually one that was any good. And what was the first one that was good, if any?
0: Oh, yes. I haven't seen Warcraft, have you? I have not. I've never played Warcraft. we got a video coming up out about Warcraft.
2: I avoided uh, speaking of that professor uh, uh, earlier. Uh, so she was at one point asked uh, by if she'd get into computer games like World of Warcraft. And she was like, no, because I would love them. And this is also mm-hmm. my exact reason for why I have never touched World of Warcraft because everything about it seems awesome and I would love it exactly so much. Exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's like you see people getting addicted to this and like, that's because yeah. it's really addictive. <laughs> and like,
2: I already know I would love it. And so I'm like, yeah. nope, not touching that. I have lots of other things to do.
0: It's like heroin. I'm yeah. good. Uh, so, you know, that's clearly great. People are really into it. I already so I know I would get addicted to it. So I'm going to stay away <laughs> from it. Now I don't know if you're talking about heroin or Warcraft,
2: <laughs> warcraft. <laughs> but I'm sure the other, just by nature of
0: its nature, um, eventually, yes. I, um, the, the, the biological reaction to heroin is is euphoric, so yeah, eventually it would, uh,
2: you know. But yeah, the Warcraft game, and uh, no, I haven't seen the Warcraft movie, but yeah, good, mm-hmm. I guess. According to Toto, do you
0: wanna do you wanna guess the Rotten Tomato score? Uh, sixty-two percent. It is. Oh, I just googled Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh Warcraft on Rotten. You said sixty-two percent? Mm-hmm. You are uh, uh, quite wrong. Twenty seven percent. Twenty-seven. But the audience, really? audience, audience seventy-seven. That's not hard. No. Well, yeah, you're bound to think critics. Yeah, hate fans, it, fans. These
2: type of movies. I mean and even like the Marvel movies that critics always hate those, right? think like pretty Dude, much.
0: Dude, no. No? Really? Dude, Marvel, like, don't some of those do awesome? I feel like critics usually dude, hate them. I'm pretty them. sure. Dude, Avengers Infinity war, war is sitting right now at 83%. Well, it was great. I haven't seen it. Oh. Dude, I saw the new Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. This is... And, and uh, Fallout. Do you want to get guess the Rotten Tomato score on that? Mm, which one? The new one. Oh, uh, okay. The Fallout. Uh, bad. I'm going to say bad. I'll just say that. Okay. So, no, give it, give it a guess. Give it uh, a guess. Don't Google it. 18%. 97. What? It's unbelievably good. It's like Really? I went in. How often do you go into a movie with a, a 97% score on Rotten Tomatoes and it overdelivers? Wow. That's amazing. Never. They've not been that good I feel like in a while. They were I I feel like when Simon Pegg got involved and they Mm -hmm. kind of made them into comedies Mm -hmm. rather than into like serious action movies. It went from like first one was good, second one was weak, third one Mm -hmm. was better, then did they make it then did Simon Mm -hmm. Pegg get involved and they made it Mm -hmm. funny? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, this is now great. And this is like less funny, but it's it's really excellent. And it's like two hours and 20 minutes long and there's no point where you're bored and it's not stupidly complicated like they make these movies mm-hmm. sometimes so you're like wait who wants the nuclear thing with the what now and who's yeah. that guy? It's, yeah. it's Well that's good. the
2: thing with these type of movies like those type of action people just want to be entertained that's the whole reason you're not going for quality cinema and so that's I think what Marvel does so well is make it funny too because then it's like an extra thing you, yes. know, that, you know so it's just pure entertainment um, which is you know what they should be these type of movies anyway.
0: Yeah and it, it delivers in every sense it mm-hmm. is just it's a it's a great movie tom is tom cruise is fantastic mm-hmm. the other guys peg and um uh what are these other guys it's awesome mm-hmm. it's a great movie anyway yeah um anything else we need to hit or are we ready to move I'm on i'm ready i'm ready to hear your hear your what's awesome so i think what we so do you remember we made a video about putin's walk like his yes. uh, the yes. gunslinger gate yes. as they call it yeah Which, just to recap very quickly, go check out our video on it, is basically Putin walks real funny because he was trained by the KGB to kind of always be ready to draw his gun and strike on people, right? So, I got an email when I was on holiday and I kind of let my emails pile up. So I was like, oh, okay, something I'll check out when I get back, blah, blah, blah. You know, i got to go through through all of this stuff. I was clearing out my emails yesterday and I opened this thing up and someone had seen our video and it inspired them to write a song. About Putin's thing, and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be very good. Whatever. And then I open it up on Spotify, and it is it it is amazing. It is. I was listening to this yesterday. It's it's kind of like a like a poppy, dancey sort of. I don't know mm-hmm. what genre of music it falls into, but it's incredibly catchy. And I've just been listening. I must have listened to it like 20 times since mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could. And it's basically, I can't really explain it better than the song can do it itself. So I thought maybe we could play out this episode. I emailed mm-hmm. the guy and said, Do you mind if we play it on the podcast? And he was like, No, go for it. That's awesome. awesome. So I thought we could play it out just in full. And I will uh, uh, open, let me just find the guy's name because I want to give him a prop, proper plug. So it's it's on an album called Walk Like Putin. Po- uh, sorry, it's a song called Walk Like Putin. It's by an artist called Tom Kirby k-r-i uh k-i-r-b-y go check it out on spotify uh i'm gonna play this song after the episode ends it's great did you listen to it yet no i have not i haven't i, I saw the email but i haven't clicked it yet after this is done go listen to this it's nice. so so good it's just yeah i love it okay nice. good nice. that's uh that's all anything else <laughs>
2: Um, no, I think that's all for today. Next time we're going to do uh, lots and lots of space bonus facts. It'll be rapid fire. Um, and Everyone loves the bonus facts on the uh, YouTube yeah. channel. So. Yeah, and people seem to like the episodes as well. So uh, and uh, Yeah, there'll be a lot. I don't know. It might be two episodes. might be one long episode. We'll see. We'll see how, how it comes together.
0: Love it. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this Brain Food Show. Leave us a review. Say hi on Twitter with the hashtag Brain Food Show. And now we're over to Tom Kirby and his song Walk Like Putin. Thanks, Tom, for uh, letting us... I feel like a radio DJ right now. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Spin it up! (laughs) Let's wrap it up there.
1: KGB gunslinger's gate Hand poised to draw and to seal your fate Comes from the Kremlin the snow. Just like the henchman, that's all we know. Right hand at the side, don't move it. Or so twist right. Come in. Walk it out like you are a maker. A... Right hand at the side. Don't move it. so twist a right. Come in. Walk it out like you are a maker. You're a Russian dictator. <laughs> Gotta walk like Putin Come walk it out like you are a maker, or a Russian dictator, gotta walk like Forget what Fred said Walk like Putin, walk like Medvedev Stony silence Forget what Fred said Gotta walk like Putin Talk like Putin Make a ruin Be prepared to strike He's watching you and Agents in Peru and Turn rocks into sand Be prepared to strike